0: everybody and welcome to another BP movie journal the show I do where I talk about the stuff I've seen since the last time I did one of these uh I'm David it's just me uh and not that you probably care but this one's coming out on a, uh, a, a not normal uh day of the week <laughs> um uh but I kind of realized I should have done one the same week that scott and i did the public transit movies because i was looking at the calendar and realizing i'm not gonna be able to probably not gonna be able to do another movie journal till after tiff so uh i've got a bunch of movies i haven't talked about that i need to i need to tell you guys about obviously i've been dying to get this off my chest um uh i am gonna start with um so the american cinematech um here in uh in Los Angeles did um, a bunch of, uh, showed a bunch of uh, Jean Eustache movies, uh, of which I had never seen any. And, and the only one I ever really even knew about was The Mother and the Whore, which I did not make it to see. But I did make sure to uh, see uh, My Little Loves, which is a 1974 coming-of-age story. Um, uh about a a boy Uh, but if whatever you're imagining oh French 70s coming of age story that'll be cute (laughs) it's not this the movie is I would say the kid is a little creep but I think the movie is basically just largely being honest about the degree to which little boys are creeps Um, especially at the age they start getting uh, erections and start competing with other boys for um, not just the attention of girls, but the sort of um, achieve like unlocking achievements with girls. How far did? How far have you gotten? That sort of thing. Um, so it is. Uh, but the the kid is like weirdly charming. Even as you're like, oh my god, what a monster! <laughs> I wouldn't let uh, my, any of. I wouldn't let my kid within a hundred yards of this kid. Um, it's it's very episodic, uh, it's not always pleasant to watch, uh, but it's fascinating and honest and really, really compelling stuff. So, uh, next up, I've got, uh, went to a double feature of movies written by Abraham Polonsky, both of which I had not seen before, no relation to Roman. This is P-O-L-O-N-S-K-Y, and he was a blacklisted writer um but um uh he wrote a movie for Robert Wise under i think someone else and initially took credit but the the DCP that they screened had um had restored his his credit um of a movie called Odds Against Tomorrow directed by Robert Wise starring, uh, it's got a great cast it's uh, Harry Belafonte and Robert Ryan are kind of the twin leads and then Ed Begley is uh, um, I don't know, the guy who gets them together and then Shelley Winters is there and Gloria Graham shows up and the once in future uh, Trapper John M.D. Wayne Rogers <laughs> uh, shows up as an uncredited character who gets beat up in a bar and uh, but uh, basically, the the movie is about Harry Balafonte plays a gambler who is running out of luck, and Robert Ryan plays a convict who's just been released from prison, and Ed Begley plays an ex cop who knows about a a score that uh, a bank they can rip off in this like small town. Um, and he recruits the two of them separately and it's not until they get together that Robert Ryan realizes that his partner is a black man and Robert Ryan's character is uh, very racist. Um, So you've got, it's got that, but it's also, like, uh, you spend a lot of time with Robert Ryan just being a monster in general. Uh, He's the one who beats up Wayne Rogers. Um, But also the, I mean, the, the actual, like, scenes of the crime being done and the way that it goes wrong, uh, is so, uh, sharp and so lively, uh, and it has, you know, rubber-wise is no slouch. It has the, uh, elegant direction and editing that you expect from later masters of, like, thriller, suspense movies, and crime movies like Steven Soderbergh and stuff like that. Um, it's a... Re- and it ends in this really amazing sequence with the... Starting with the heist, everything's going right, then things start going wrong. Um, largely, I mean, it's not... The is not subtle about the fact that things go wrong largely because Robert Ryan is too racist to trust Harry Belafonte to to do his end of the of the job so it is kind of his fault but things go wrong and then the movie keeps heightening up to this pretty crazy um literally explosive finale and uh the movie's just a real discovery for me i'd heard of it and i definitely when belafonte died i had um it had been on my list of things to check out that i that i didn't get to uh, but, man, it's a new a new fave. Um, and then second up, they showed Force of Evil, which uh, Abraham, Abraham Polanski not only wrote, but also directed. Um, and it stars John uh, Garfield as a, uh, I guess a, I don't think he would consider, it, the character would consider himself a corrupt lawyer. He is a lawyer whose client is a major organized crime head. Uh, and um, he's trying to help, or basically organize uh, his clients' um, businesses and eliminate competition. The competition includes his own brother. So uh, the 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 sort of engine of the movie, the juice here, is that um, John Garfield wants to get his brother to fall in line under his boss saying hey you'll you'll be you'll you'll get rich just join us don't go against us because things won't go good for you and um, his brother who uh, despite running like a numbers racket and, and 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 being a bookie like considers himself an honest businessman which the movie is aware of the tension there but uh, he doesn't want to get uh, in involved and it's um, I mean Abraham Polanski he's an incredible writer John Garfield uh, is one of the best of the time I would say the direction um, is not I mean having just this is a double feature of, of these having just um, seen Odds Against Tomorrow it definitely feels a little bit more um, just obvious and kind of like gonna be a little bit too much room in the shots and and uh, it's centering the dialogue and just two people talking and it doesn't have uh, that um, the the grace and the forward mom- forward visual momentum that um, Robert wise brought to to uh, odds against tomorrow but still very good um, yeah I'm glad I glad I went the Skirball Center was doing a whole series on um, uh, The Blacklist and, and they've done it a bunch of double features and that was the only one I was able to make it to. Uh, Alright, next up. Um, speaking of non-directors uh, stepping behind the camera to direct, um, Riley Keough uh, along with Gina Gamel or Gamel, I'm not sure how you say her name uh, has made her directorial debut with a movie called War Pony that is beautiful and uh stunning and heartbreaking and funny and i love this movie so much um it's called the war pony it's a it's it's two different it's another boys coming of age movie except it's two different boys who live ac- essentially across the street from each other on a reservation um they're they're both lakota um and um So the the movie is, like My Little Love, very episodic. It's just sort of following these these two. So the one is like a 12-year-old. And the other one is older. He's, you know, post-high school age. So I don't know. He's supposed to be in his 20s, early 20s probably. Um, And it just follows their different stories. Um, You know, the younger one gets kicked out of the house. The older one... um, is enterprising and good at making money in ways that are on the fringes of legality. Uh, Mm -hmm. just kind of this, the black market barter trade type of, of, of system. And, uh, apparently Riley Keough and Gina Gamble, um, spent a lot of time with Lakota friends of theirs. Um, And um, developed this uh, script based on those friendships and those experiences. And you can tell that this is, you know, from the 30,000-foot view, this is an issue movie about the struggles of growing up on a reservation. But up close, it's a character movie. It's a personal, human, intimate uh, movie about people which is why yeah some terrible things happen in these in these kids lives but also they're like kids who who have fun and laugh and the movie is often very energetic and funny um and there are parts where you can especially the older uh the, the older kid whose name is bill um um you really like root for him uh uh, a, a lot of the time and, and so it's not one of those it's not one of those issue movies like liberal issue movies that's made meant for like liberal viewers who don't relate it's meant to make them like feel good it's not that at all it's uh, a just a really really beautifully made movie um, okay next up uh, cool movie movie alert uh, yeah, it's another it's a, it's a another Nicolas Cage sort of direct to streaming type of deal or direct to VOD type of deal directed by a guy named Yuval Adler the movie is called Sympathy for the Devil and uh, it's largely a two-hander where Joel Kinnaman plays a sort of uh, every man who we meet, uh, we, we meet when he's on the way to the hospital where his wife is giving birth and um, he's frantic. He's trying to get there in time. And uh, as he's looking for a place to park in the parking garage, uh, Nicolas Cage in a crazy outfit and dyed red hair uh, gets into his backseat, points his points a gun at him, and says, "Keep leave and keep driving." Um, and uh, the the, the, the premise of the movie is it goes on, like, um, borrows obviously, borrows definitely from uh, a history of violence where we come to realize that, like, oh, Nicolas Cage thinks Joel Kinnaman is someone else. Or is Nicolas Cage right and Joel Kinnaman is this other guy? Um, that's the tension. But really, what this movie is about is you write a bunch of fun dialogue And you give it to Nicolas Cage, just stuff that he can chew on for 90 minutes. And you shoot it in a way that is cool and uh, uh, interesting. And you're going to have a fun, you're going to have a fun time. Uh, So yeah, Sympathy for the Devil, uh, definitely recommend. Cool, like, uh, you know, movie VOD rental next i wish i could say about this say the same about the next this vod movie called Susie searches directed by sophie kargman um it has a great cast um it's kirstie clemens alex wolf jim gaffigan ken marino uh rachel senate shows up jeffrey owens is in it uh oh yeah dolly wells if you like her uh jared gilman um yeah from moonrise kingdom a- and patterson uh And, uh, yeah, uh, Kiersey Clements plays a, like, a teenage girl who, um, is, like, an internet sleuth and has, like, a YouTube show about her trying to, like, solve unsolved crimes, but she's just not getting the traction that she wants, um, until she, uh, manages to save a fellow college, a fellow student at her college. Oh, yeah, it's college, not high school. She's in college. Um... She manages to save a fellow student who is kidnapped and who already has a huge social media presence. So suddenly she's like, she did this thing uh, and Alex Wolf plays the, the guy. and she's But she's kind of writing his coattails to the fame that she wants. Uh, unfortunately, the movie is just way too obvious. There's a twist that you honestly... Based on my plot description, might have already guessed. I guessed it pretty quickly, um, and I'm not even a guy. I'm, usually, I get fooled by the most obvious <laughs> uh, uh, twists. But um, and Kirsty Clemens, whom I've liked in the past, is just like cartoonishly over the top as this uh, like uh, awkward but eager nerd girl. Um, Alex Wolf is good as usual. Kevin Reno is really good, but. Um, yeah i can't really recommend it um i can recommend barbie but by now you've either seen it or decided you're not going to see it i would guess but um yeah i really liked barbie um and uh uh and i was one of the skeptics i was one of the ones who was like oh it's Another IP movie. They're going to shackle Gre- Greta Gerwig. Um, and I'm not interested in getting into like whether or not she is biting the hand that feeds her. I don't think she is. I think this serves Mattel very well. I guess I did get into it, didn't I? Um, but I think this serves Mattel very well. But uh, first the first thing is that the movie is hilarious. <clears throat> like um, I think. like maybe people or maybe it's just me who keeps forgetting how funny Greta Gerwig is because like you know I mean Lady Bird's definitely funny but it's not a comedy same with Little Women has funny stuff not really a comedy um but stuff like I mean she like she wrote or co-wrote I can't remember uh Mistress America which I think is one of the best comedies of the 2010s um Uh, and, uh, Barbie is, that's the first thing you need to know. The headline of the story here is that this movie is fucking hilarious. I laughed so much during the movie. Uh, beyond that, um, I, uh, I liked the boldness of the movie's, um, what's what I'm looking for? Like, uh didacticism maybe um but i i i I liked how how front and center it is but i don't i think if you're if you're watching this movie and you have the misfortune of being a stupid person uh you might see it as being preachy about feminism but i think you'd be missing all of the other things that are going on not even under the surface just not blared at you the way the movie like literally like it has an entire sequence that is just America Ferrara making like uh, feminist arguments and it becomes but like that sounds bad but it's it's a part of the plot and it actually is funny that it's funny to me that that's that they uh, used they shoehorned it in that way Um, but uh, what I think maybe some of the Backlash is to is that like okay, there's a great episode of the show Corporate, maybe my favorite episode of the show Corporate. If you haven't watched it, I think it's on Paramount Plus. It um, only lasted like two seasons, but it's a really funny show. Uh, but the corporation, uh, the question in question, uh, the some of the characters come up to design a line of makeup for men, and they're like, "This is an untapped market." They spend the whole movie like. Uh, market testing it and developing it and like uh, the whole episode that it, that's what they work on um, at the very end they're going to pitch it to the head of the company Lance Reddick and they start by saying you know uh, you know something about we can prey on men's insecurities or you know uh, we can profit off their insecurities and Lance Reddick just says oh no men aren't insecure and just shuts it all down <laughs> And I feel like um, some of the backlash against this movie has been from men like that, because the Greta Gerwig in the movie has a great deal of empathy um, for the Kens in in uh, in in Barbie Land. But I I do wonder if those guys are like I don't need that pity or whatever. Um, uh, i'm doing fine you know toxic masculinity does not take a toll on me um the patriarchy is not unfair across the board it works fine um that that, that's the kind of thing i think they're they're thinking but um again at the end of the day the movie is very very funny and that's reason enough to see it So that's Barbie. That's me talking about Barbie. Uh, Next up, uh, I saw uh, a Japanese... An anime film called The First Slam Dunk, directed by Takahiko Inoue, I think. Um, And it's a sports anime. It's a basketball, as you might have guessed, anime movie. um, that uh, Basically, there's a high school boys basketball team... And they're in some sort of championship game or something. Um, it's not really important. But it's important that they w- want to win. And we want them to win because they're our guys. Uh, and the entire move—that it's sort of the framing device. So though it's, it's a huge part of the movie is the game. But then throughout the game, we keep getting flashbacks. There's one character in particular who's clearly the lead character. But we keep getting flashbacks of the other players on the team and how they like their sort of journey to where they are now that it's all come up to this, this moment, this it's all culminated in this, uh, potential, uh, for this team that's never won anything or never beaten this other team to like beat them for the first time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, story and character wise, I think the movie is like fine and, and competent, but, uh, it's really a a movie made up of these fantastically tense moments and these crescendos and it is impressive that the movie is over two hours long, uh, which is long for animation uh, and, and it keeps writing this wave of every moment being so big and being so crucial and you want to like stand up and cheer or clap at every single basket or or every single blocked shot which it like always like goes into slow motion or you don't realize until the last second that the guy is going to make it or the guy's just out of frame and he, his hand comes in and blocks the shot and it's uh and it's slow motion and then it comes back into you know the sound goes out and then it comes back in and it's just like uh it's all very exciting it's the kind of movie that i think could be I feel like I'm stealing this from someone else who's on the show. So uh, I think Julie might have said something along the lines about movies that are like described as being a trailer for itself. It's a trailer for itself, um, and you could uh, you could take that as a as a criticism. But I think it's really awesome and really impressive that um, Takehiko Inoue, uh sustains this this uh this height um for for so long this hang time I should what I should have said that would have been more clever uh then uh I rewatched Rosemary's Baby for the first time in a long time and uh it's even better than I remember um I think uh the first time I saw it I I mean I, I loved it then too but the first time I saw it I spent so much time just focusing on poor rosemary this is like just she's a victim which she obviously is she is victimized deeply in the movie that was kind of my only take so that by the end when she makes the decision that she makes i felt sorry for her but this time i felt something different not happy for her she still went through hell and was raped by a demon and all of these things um but uh there is something about her stepping up at the end um you and maybe you could see it as giving in but her stepping up uh i don't know i i found it in more psychologically and emotionally complex than i had in the in the past uh and also just a, a terrific time um it's a strangely fun watch there's all sorts of little moments um uh, Natalie did not watch it with me when she saw that I was watching it, when she, she came home and I was watching it. She said, um, oh, did you get to the part where she went to Vidal Sassoon? Because that's... My wife's favorite line in the movie is not, you know, what have you done to its eyes or 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 anything like that. Um, it Or all of them witches. No, it's, I've been to Vidal Sassoon <laughs> when she comes home with the pixie cut or whatever. Uh, I love that. I love that about my wife and I love that line. Um, so... Fantastic movie, even better than I remember it. Uh home stretch here. Um just last week I watched a movie called The Pod Generation by Sophie Bart. Uh great uh, another movie with a great cast that just doesn't really uh landed. It. It's Amelia uh, Clark and Chiwetel Ejiofor um are a couple and I feel like there's other people who show up that I recognize but now I'm not seeing uh, anything but um, there are a couple in the in a, in a future an AI dictated future where Emily, Emily Clark's character actually works for uh, a company that makes like these AI personal assistants like Alexa but like times a million um, and uh, she wants to have a baby and uh, if you can afford it in this world you can have a baby grown in a little pod that you carry around but you can also, like, store and charge or whatever, and um, you don't have to, like, be pregnant 100% of the time, even though it's your baby and you're taking care of it. And so they do that, but you Force character is a sort of, um, I don't know, he romanticizes the uh, 20th century, I guess. Um, this takes place, I think, it doesn't give an exact year, but it's clear that it's late 21st century, I think, or early 22nd. Um, and, uh, I just, you know, good cast, definitely, like, really, um, well thought out production design, and, you know, handsome, competent cinematography, although it has that, like, sort of, I've described it in review in written reviews before, as, like, every surface looks like sorry every circus look, looks like brushed nickel that makes sense that sort of like uh, soft texturedness to the walls and everything it just looks it looks like an apple tv original and um it's way too blatant not in like i, I feel like i'm contradicting myself because i said i liked that barbie was so uh upfront with its arguments or the arguments that it was at least interested in dissecting um Whereas this movie, I think, thinks that it's smarter than it is by by slipping these things in. Um, this will mean this will mean nothing to ninety five percent of the audience. But if anyone remembers um, Brett Gelman's bit that he uh, used to do called Eyebrain, Brain, I think um, it reminded me of the first, not the later part of Eye Brain. <laughs> if you know it, if you know it, if not, look up red gelman eyebrain it's hilarious uh but make sure there are no children around um and uh but the first part of ibrain where it's a, like a sci-fi it's clearly a point of view of a sci-fi author who who thinks he's being um really uh profound but is actually being quite trite that's what i thought of when i watched the pod generation Uh, What are we up to next? Oh, a really charming movie, recently restored, um, directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie, whose only other feature directorial credit is the Buffy the Vampire Slater movie with Christy Swanson from 92, I think. Um, But uh, this movie is called Tokyo Pop, and it stars Carrie Hamilton, who is actually, uh, was, unfortunately, she passed away um, of cancer at a young age, but was um, a... um, uh, was the daughter of Carol Burnett, and Carol Burnett I think has co-financed this um, this uh, restoration. Basically, Carrie Hamilton plays a New York rock and roll singer who's gotten dicked over by her the the guy she's in a band with that she's dating, and so sort of on a on a whim um, to get revenge at him and also for a change of scenery, she steals the rent their rent money for the month and. Moves to Japan, um, and um, uh, she ends up finding a career as a as a singer there. There's a little love story, and the movie is like it has all these like punk, new wave edges to it, in like the 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 outfits and and the kind of um, uh, no frills direction of it, which is not a Uh, an insult that I I like the way the movie is directed. But at its heart, it is a very sweet romance that also loves, love songs. And um, that, you know, they're. she might be in like a punk band at the beginning, but like the songs, she sings the most are like, uh, do you believe in magic? And you make me feel like a natural woman and stuff like that. And Carrie Hamilton had a beautiful voice. Uh, Yeah. if, if you get a chance, I'm sure The Restoration, I know it's playing like, uh, I don't know, film form or something, but I'm, I'm sure The Restoration means um, a new Blu-ray on the horizon, so um, don't sleep on it. Check it out. Tok- Tokyo Pop. Good stuff. You want some great stuff, though? I saw the new Iris Axe film, Passages, which uh, is about Franz Rogowski, I guess is the main character, and at the beginning of the movie, he is married to a character played by, played by Ben Whishaw, and, um, but then he ends up having an affair, uh, with a woman named, uh, or played by Adele Exarchopoulos, and it's, it's one of the best performances That I can think of in years. Friends, Rogowski's character. How aware the movie is. And even somewhat aware he is. Of how toxic and selfish he is. But he... He cannot not be loved for even a second. So he breaks people's hearts. But just... Expects them to forgive him, and uh, he's so charming that it works a lot of the time. And uh, Franz Rogowski just gets this woundedness, but also the selfishness. Um, It even works on you, the audience. I mean, at least it worked on me that uh, I like this fucking guy is, like, fucking over people left and right, and yet I'm like, don't hurt him, <laughs> you know? I feel so bad for him. Uh, and um, so, I mean, that that would be, I mean, Franz Grigowski's performance would be enough to recommend the movie alone, but um, as, I think, on a recent episode, I can't remember what it was, a recent episode, Scott and I talked about how as a director Iris X who was no slouch 10 years ago, uh, continues to get better and better, um, in terms of, of, uh, simple things, simple, but beautiful framing, um, and mise-en-scene, uh, and the, the film ends with a sequence that I won't describe it because it's the end of the movie. And that would be mean, but, uh, it's a sequence that you've seen before, but there's something, the the marriage of the way that Iris Sacks has chosen to shoot and light it and where he's chosen to set this sequence and the nonverbal acting on Franz part at the end uh, elevates the movie to the level of um, probably best of the year so far, I have to say. Um, fantastic movie passages. Finally... Uh, another rewatch. I rewatched Far Varda's One Sings, The Other Doesn't, which I'd already liked to begin with, and this is sort of like Rosemary's Baby liked to begin with, and then loved on uh, a more recent viewing. Um, mostly because I, w- I became fascinated with the passage of time, because the movie starts in 1962 and ends in 1976, uh, and it's over two hours long, and yet it glides so. Smoothly, the characters glide, the two The two characters, one of them sings, the other doesn't, um, they glide apart, they glide back together, there's something that is connecting them, uh, but no scene feels like it's a full little playlet or anything, everything just goes into one another, even when a decade passes in between shots, uh, it's beautifully constructed, Uh, On Anya Varda's part. And I'll say that I watched it um, in preparation for discussing the movie on. I I was a guest on an episode of the Red Rose Film Podcast, which is a podcast that uh, talks about films through a lens of, uh, you know, left wing political theory. Um, So probably not for everyone, that podcast, but uh, I learned a lot because I'm, you know, I'm a lefty, but I'm not, like, uh, immersed in 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 theory about you know marxist feminist and feminism and, and the stuff that uh, we talked about with uh, with Helen Craig over over at uh, Red Rose Film Club but um yeah check out Red Rose Film Club check out my episode check out the other episodes hmm.